wonderful confession of faith and um, appreciate all of you being here today, especially appreciate the young people being here today. And uh, as Kevin mentioned, we're going to be having pizza for you afterwards. Hope you can stay and eat pizza. Uh, and I believe they announced that uh, two weeks from today, we'll be having our 14th anniversary here at the field house and so uh, we are planning to go ahead with uh, everything and uh, I've invited uh, Tammy Tipton to be our special guest speaker on that Sunday. She was one of our staff members who was instrumental in helping us uh, obtain this land. 18 acres goes all the way back to the fence. You'll see that we own that whole field back there. And um, she helped us with that and helped us uh, build up our youth group. And a lot of our uh, young families we have today are from the youth group that uh, she worked with years ago. Well, if you uh, would like to turn to our first text today, my desire is to help people uh, with doubts and questions about the Bible. Uh, the environment today is not one that fosters faith. It's more likely to foster fear and especially doubt. Um, 2 Timothy 1, Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? It, uh, so we don't approach the future with, with fear. We just want to do what God is leading us by His Holy Spirit that we should do. But one of the things that you're probably aware of is the attacks that have come upon the Christian faith and especially upon the Bible as the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, that is their own will. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word carried along there is the same word used in Acts 27 where it says the wind blew the ship that Paul was in. They couldn't steer it. The wind drove them along. That's the same word used here. Men spoke from God as they were driven along by the Holy Spirit. He was in charge. And Peter says, knowing this first of all, this is the first thing you should know. The scripture didn't come from man. It came from spirit-led men of God. Knowing this first of all. So I just want to jump in here and give you some reasons why we can trust the Bible. We'll start with the issue of creation. Because that is almost universally, the Bible is almost universally 
declared irrelevant when it comes to the creation of man, creation of the universe. I read just a, a few weeks ago, there was this article in the New York Times that said the title of it was From Bacteria to Humankind. And the, art, the article taught, uh, was putting forth the idea that we descended basically from bacteria. Um, um, and that's always good to know. My great, 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 great grandparents was a germ somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking, you know, the problem is not the coronavirus, you getting it. You are it, evidently, <laughs> according to this writer. You come from bacteria. Of course, the Bible teaches man came from God and has made in his image. What a big difference that makes. If we teach young people they came from germs, then why are we surprised they act like devils? So creation... Uh, is one of the things the Bible says God did. And when it comes to the solar system, there are billions of galaxies. Some galaxies, though, are too hot. Too hot for life. Others are too cold. But our galaxy and our solar system is just right. And our, in our solar system, the earth, if we were too close, if we were any closer to the sun, it would be too hot and we would burn up. If we were just 2% farther away from the sun, we would freeze. Everything would freeze. It would be the Arctic. One time I had this thought, if earth is so important, why are there so many other planets in our solar system? There, there's other planets. And I, I had to give you a little arrow here to show you where the Earth is. It's like a dot. Look at the size of Jupiter and Saturn. Why would God make such huge planets? And then I read this article where what the... What Jupiter does, and they're not saying, you know, there's a God and, and uh, we ought to trust him as the Bible says. But they were just saying, here's what happens and here's why the earth is conducive to life. And here's what they said. Uh, Jupiter and Saturn are so big that they act like big brothers to the earth. And when a meteorite or an asteroid or any space debris comes into our solar system, it is sucked up by Jupiter and Saturn. So the Earth is protected from the elements. I thought, uh, well, you can say that just what a lucky coincidence for us. Stephen Hawking, who was a British physicist and an atheist, said of the universe, it does seem 
to have been finely adjusted for the existence of human life. It does seem like that, he said. Well, here's what Isaiah the prophet said, Isaiah 45, 18. Notice this verse. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God. He formed the earth. He made it. He established it. He did, he did not create it to be empty, but He formed it. Notice that. So it could be inhabited. He formed it. He worked in it and worked at it so people could live in it. So you got these huge planets that protect our earth and you've got these, the atmosphere that protects us from the rays of the sun and you've got the distance from the sun so that it's just right. Norman Geisler came up with 30 separate features that he said have to be perfectly balanced in order for life to thrive on the earth. 30 separate features. We have all 30 of those. The balance between land and water, for example. And earth and sea. Space and time. Now, of course, according to the latest science, all of this came about, all of this symmetry and detail and design came about by a big bang. You've heard that, right? Where did the earth come from? The big bang theory. There was a moment when everything exploded and there you go. Here we are. Suppose you're walking along a beach with a friend and you come across a beautiful Rolex watch. What would you say to this friend? Would you say, you know, a bomb has gone off right there. Look at the design of that watch. Look at the symmetry and the detail of its movements. Look at the engraving on the back where it says, I love you. Look at how the face illumines the darkness. Yes, there's no question. There's been an explosion right there. A bomb has gone off. Is, would that make sense? So when you look at the design and the intricacy of our universe the, and the human body and the creation of man and you look at this and you think, wow, an explosion has gone off. Think of astronomy. The Bible has a lot to say about the sun, the moon, and the stars. I know this is not a good time to wipe my nose with this coronavirus going around and the preacher's up there blowing his nose when he's preaching. That's not a good sign. 
But I, I'm not shaking hands. I'm giving thumbs up, just so y'all know. And I brought a whole big barrel full of hand de, uh, disinfectants with me. And I am not sick. <coughs> but the Bible has a lot to say about astronomy. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And Psalm 19 goes on to say, uh, in them, that is in the heavens, in the sky above, in them, he has set up a tent for the sun. Now, if you read that carefully, it's like he's made the solar system to revolve around the sun. The sun is the center. He made it like a tent for the sun. That's called heliocentric view of the solar system. And that was written 3,000 years ago. You know when they came up, Galileo came up with a, with a heliocentric view of the, of the sun and the solar system? In the 1700s, around 1700. That's 2,700 years late from David riding under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And look what else. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. Now everybody laughs, laughed at that because everybody knows the sun doesn't orbit. But wait. Did you know the sun does have a circuit? It has a course. It runs its course with joy. The heavens is like a big tent. The sun is central. And the sun actually, along with the rest of the planets, we are not fixed in space, but we circle in an orbit that is so large it takes 220 million years to complete the entire orbit. Which means you're probably not going to be here when it gets done. But the sun does move in a circle. What incredible insight under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that David gave us Thousands of years ago, literally. Science is always catching up to the Bible. If anything history has taught us, it's taught us this. That when science and the Bible are across from each other, I'd, I'd go with the Bible. Because time is always proven the Bible is what comes out ahead. Consider the oceans. Ecclesiastes 1.7 says all streams flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. How can that be? And then he gives the answer. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. 
all the streams come down and flow into the ocean and then they go back to where they came from and start to circle all over again. It's called the hydrological cycle. There was a documentary on the Mississippi River I was watching some weeks ago. And the Mississippi River actually starts out as a small creek up in northern Minnesota. And it keeps going and it's fed by all these rivers and tributaries till at one place the Mississippi River is 11 miles wide. And it flows down to the Gulf of Mexico and dumps 6 million gallons of water per second into the Gulf of Mexico. It is huge. Where does all that water go? Amos 9, 6 puts it like this. He, he, God, calls for the waters of the sea and then pours them out on the surface of the earth. He calls for it. It goes up in evaporation and then he pours it out once again in rain and melted snow and the tributaries feed the rivers once again until it goes back into the ocean. Hydrological cycle. So the sea is never full and where they come from, they return again. Now this was written a thousand years before Christ and discovered and articulated and accepted in 1700. There's also that interesting verse in Job 38 and verse 16. Remember, Job is having a problem with the way God is running his world. And so Job is, is being questioned by God to get, help him get some perspective. And he says to Job in Job 38, 16, Job, have you ever, ever entered into the springs of the sea or the, the fountains? Is one translation. Or walked in the recesses of the deep. Uh, who knew the ocean had fountains or springs? And yet... Around 1700, no, let's see, this would be up around 1900 because they, uh, they began to be able to go down in, well, I think it's called a bathoscope, where you, where you, can, where you can go down like a, it's a submarine, but it's round. And you can go down and observe the depths of the sea. And they found these volcano-like statues shooting out hot water, hot springs at the bottom of the sea. Who knew? And Job, the oldest book in the Bible, God says to him, have you ever seen the springs, the fountains, and the bottom of the sea? Well, how are you going to answer that? Or, here's something else we didn't discover till. 1800 years after Christ what have you Job have you ever walked in the recesses or trenches of the deep 
the trenches of the deep. It, we used to think that the ocean was just like you went from one sandy extension all the way to the next continent. But in the ocean, you go down to the depths of the ocean, the bottom of the ocean, and they started running into these huge chasms. One of them is six times longer than the Grand Canyon. Called, they call them trenches. And God brought this up to Job 3,000 years ago, maybe 3,500 years ago. The steepest, the deepest trench is seven miles deep off the coast of Puerto Rico. It's amazing how could anyone know about the fountains or about the trenches except for the one who made them. He knew about it. And what about the issue of medicine? Boy, we could preach a series on this. The Bible, for example, says in Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And God gave it on the altar to make atonement. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, doctors today know the importance of blood. It carries oxygen throughout the body, especially to the brain. And uh, uh, if your brain goes without oxygen, you know that you're dead in a few minutes. And sometimes... If you've ever been, uh, if you've ever exercised or exerted yourself over a period of time, sometimes you get that, that uh, euphoria. That's because the heart's pumping all that oxygen and it's hitting the brain and it's, and it's uh, making you high. It's called a runner's high. I get that all the time. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, today doctors know about that. Uh, but in, in uh, 1799, they did not know that. They did not understand, hey, the life of the flesh is in the blood. They thought just the opposite. Death is in the blood. So you know what they would do? If somebody got sick, they would um, bleed you. That is how George Washington died in 1799. He was sick, getting weaker and weaker, and somebody said, you know, this blood's killing him. Well, let's get rid of the blood. And he died. And God's like, I told you 1,500 years before Jesus came, which is over 3,000 years ago, I told you the life of the flesh is in the blood. I didn't say the death of the flesh is in the blood. And you could also go back 
to the pagan nations and how they treated sicknesses. I, I seriously cannot describe some of this. But I'm going to border a line a little bit. This is PG-13. Almost every recipe or prescription for ailments called for some kind of excrement. A cow's cow manure, pig droppings, dog manure, cat excrement. Are you kidding me? And archaeologists have uncovered a document, a papyrus, they call it a papyrus, on the subject of healing from the Egyptians. This goes back to Moses' day. And they discovered in 1867 this early Egyptian prescription for a splinter that's infected. And they said you take a hog's tooth, dog dung, and other various dried excrement and you mix it together, make a poultice, and apply it to the infected area. There you go. How many people died of lockjaw and infection in a slow, agonizing death? That was the wisdom of the Egyptians in Acts 7.22. But According to Acts 7.22, Moses was learned in all of that. But what did Moses tell us to do with excrement? Why do we do what we do with excrement? It's because we have learned what God told Moses 3,000 years ago in Deuteronomy 23.12. Pull that up. You're to have a place outside the camp. You go out to it. Have a trowel, a, a shovel, a little shovel with your tools. When you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back around and cover it up. That's what God said. Now, the wisdom of man said, oh, I know what we can do with excrement. We can put it on your vulnerable spots, on your person. So if we look at creation, if we look at the human anatomy, if we look at medicine, if we look at the oceans, if we look at astronomy, if we look at history, no matter where you look, the Bible again and again has been confirmed and it ought to be celebrated, not verbally attacked, And made fun of and ridiculed. Why you can trust the Bible. Now I want to take just a few more minutes and I want to give you some final thoughts here. One thought is this. Faith is a spiritual battle. It's not just intellectual. Do you know the first words that Satan 
say it. Genesis 3.1 The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say that? That is his, that's Satan's first words. It was a question mark. It was the administration of doubt. Satan's introduction in Genesis 3 was, did God speak that? Doubting God, doubting the Bible, doubting the gospel, doubting the resurrection, doubting answered prayer, doubting His promises, these are all things that are more than intellectual. It is a spiritual battle. And Satan will sow the seeds of doubt. And any teacher or professor, whether high school or college, that sows doubt in the minds of young people about the Word of God is an instrument of the devil. There. Said it. Didn't get a lot of amens. Thank you, Abigail, my granddaughter. Doubt. Here's a second thought that I had. Is if we can trust the Bible on all these other things, we can trust it on salvation. The Bible is not primarily a medical book, but... If you can trust it on medicine, the Bible is not necessarily an astronomical book, but if if it speaks to astronomy, you can trust what it says on astronomy. The Bible is not necessarily a history book, but if it speaks to history, you can trust it on on history. We, We see these areas where we can trust it. And therefore, if it is trustworthy on astronomy and medicine and history and science and creation and the solar system, if it's trustworthy on these lesser lesser things, how much more can we trust it on salvation? Tells us how to go to heaven. That's its main thing. 1 Peter 1.24 and 5 says, All the glory of man is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. In other words, the word of God, which endures forever, contains within it the gospel. That's why we must defend and proclaim the Word of God because within the Word of God is the gospel by which you are saved. If you take away the Scripture, take away the Bible, you're taking away the gospel. And no preacher ought to remain silent under those conditions. 
Calvin would say, even a dog barks when his master is attacked. One final point. The scripture, the Holy Bible, has withstood attacks throughout history. And it has emerged every time. And it will continue to do so. thousand years from now we'll still have the word of God. The word of God endures forever, Peter said. Years ago I heard this poem. Last night I paused beside a blacksmith's door. I heard the anvil ring a familiar chime. And looking in I saw upon the floor old hammers worn and broken with time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all those hammers so? Just one, said he with twinkling eye. The anvil wears the hammers out, you know. Then I thought, the anvil of God's word. The skeptic's blows have beat upon. And though the sound of blows are heard... The anvil stands, but the hammers are gone. This book's like an anvil. The hammers come down. The anvil will be here. But the place around it strewn with broken hammers. I love the word of God. It's the anvil. And you're not going to break it. And it needs to be proclaimed as such. You can count on it. It will not only see you through life, it'll get you into heaven. Praise God. Let's bow together. Ushers, you come and let's receive our offering this morning. Let's worship the God who has spoken to us in a trustworthy book we call the Holy Bible. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much today that we have the Word of God. We thank you that you've given it to us as a precious gift. May we be good stewards of it. May we read it, study it, behold it, love it, and proclaim it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please can have people give at the door.